Look, take your Bibles and turn to Job chapter one. We're actually gonna be in chapter two, but we're gonna do a little review, so take your Bibles and turn there, all right? If you don't own a Bible, maybe you're visiting with us, we'll give you one. All you gotta do is just walk into the altar room when we're done. Over in the venue, there's an altar room. If you're watching online, show up at the church Monday or Tuesday at the office, we'll give you your own copy where you can take notes and write things down and all that kind of stuff, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll put a copy of the Word of God into uh, your your hands. Um, so before we get started here, let me, uh, let me just tell you about what's, uh, what's happened today in series that's uh, somewhat historic. Uh, it was a couple of years ago we began to pray about how we might uh, touch another town in our, in our county. And literally we began to pray and pray and pray. We put this big map of Stanislaus County up in one of our conference rooms and Really spent a lot of time praying, and for whatever reason, we, we landed on series and began to pray about series and began to do a lot of research and just, you know, a, a whole lot of work went into um, just thinking and praying and dreaming about touching the lives of people in series, reaching people in series, discipling people in series. And uh, today is uh, our first what we're calling it a pre-launch gathering. Uh, in business terms, it would be um, kind of like a soft opening, okay? In other words, we haven't let this, this town know we're, we're, we're starting, haven't done that yet. We'll do that in three weeks. But there's already over 100 people there that have, from the South County who would come to Big Valley Grace that lived in Turlock or they lived in Houston or Hickman or Keys or or they lived in just in the southern part of Modesto, and they're the leaders there. We, we've got, you know, you got a baby. They're, we've got cribs there. Uh, uh, they got there early this morning to put all this up in the series community center, which is right in the heart of the city is where we're, where we're meeting. And they got there early to put the stage up and the sound system up and carpets down in all the rooms for elementary age uh, uh, kids and, and all of that. And literally today, they probably just finished a little bit ago, the gatherings at 10 o'clock, and they sang, they had a message from Pastor Joel, uh, they took an offering, they, they did everything we're doing, it's just that it's happening down in series, and so our series campus, for the first time, has met today. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great thing, man? When you, uh, when you think about our state, and uh, I'm talking about the state of California, when you think about just the hostility that there is towards churches and believers or whatever all that might be, to think that you know, we're, we're taking back more ground, we're, we're, we're moving ahead, we're, we're just trying to touch the lives of, of, of people. And we couldn't have done it without all of you praying. We couldn't have done it without uh, all of you, you know, saying, hey, count me in, I'm gonna be a part of it. That little green bag that went by, when you put your offering in there, part of that went to buy all of the stuff that we had to buy to get, you know, everything ready there. And uh, thank you to those of you that stepped into new places of leadership here. You, you lose 100 people from here who literally are, are leaders they're now doing stuff there. We, we, we had to replace people here, and, and we still have some needs. And so thank you to all of you that have been praying and dreaming about this day as much as uh, I have, because it's really pretty, you know, per, pretty uh, uh, special. Well, here's the thing. We're, we're in a series where we're going through the book of Job together as a, as a church a family. And we started last weekend, and wow, man, I got a bunch of emails. I got a bunch of texts and private messages, phone calls about just how great the launch of this series has been in your life, your family's life, or whatever. We have a uh, hundred new life groups that are meeting Monday through you know, Saturday, actually some meet uh, tonight, that literally are going through Job chapter one, Job chapter two, a hundred of them, and uh, new life groups. And I know many of you are in those life groups and you're exploring the book of Job at a whole deeper level. You have a chance to ask questions and all of that. And so good, good things are, are, are happening. I want to make sure we're all on the same page. So look at Job chapter 1 and verse 1. All right? The Bible says, There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. And the first thing I need you to understand is that Job was a real person. 
He's not some mythological character that you find in the Bible. He's a real person just like you. Okay, he laughed like you, he cried like you, had a mother and a father, had a wife, had children, had a, a job, a career. He was a real person just like you. He just lived a long time ago. The Bible says he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he stayed away from evil. Now this doesn't mean that Job was perfect or that he was you know, sinless. It just means that Job was a good, godly man. He was a moral man, a just man. He loved his family, loved his kids. In a, in a modern day context, he, he not only was a member of a church, but he belonged to the church. He was active in the church. He, 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 he held babies so that you could come in here and worship the Lord. He, he mentored teenagers in the, in the youth group maybe. He could have been a deacon, he could have been an elder. Maybe he sang in the, in the band. He, he was always faithful in his, in his giving. He, he was very faithful to the things of the Lord. Okay, that, that's, that's what it means. Verse two says this, he had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. So, so here's the deal. Even by today's metrics, Job was a wealthy man, right? He was the, obviously, he was like the Bill Gates of his day, as I told you last week. But I also pointed out last week that all of his wealth didn't goof up his relationship with the Lord. And that often happens. In fact, in the New Testament, we read all kinds of uh, uh, things about how wealth can be a stumbling block to our growth in the Lord. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of God. And so somehow, some way, all of his wealth all of his affluence didn't mess up his relationship with the Lord. Now I want you to look at verse six because everything changes in chapter one. It says, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Imagine uh, God's having a staff meeting and he's got all of his angels there in this staff meeting and for whatever reason he allows Satan to come uh, some of us, uh, maybe you work in a, in a business where the boss or the owner comes in and he brings in all the department heads and, and you have to have a, a meeting, you give an account to the, to the boss as to what's going on, what's happening, how are the sales or whatever all that might be. Imagine that. That's what's happening here in verse six. God's got all of the angels around him and for whatever reason he allows Satan to be a part of it. Okay, and we're gonna talk more about Satan at the very end, because that was the biggest question we received over the internet or you know, email, whatever all that is, and I'm gonna talk more about him in, in a little bit. Verse seven, where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? And this is a troubling sentence. Because the, the idea is, is that Satan isn't necessarily looking to do anything to Job. It's God who points Job out to Satan. It's God who gives Satan, if you will, the GPS coordinates to his life. Have you noticed my servant Job? He, he's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. Look at verse 12. Satan replied to the Lord, or uh, look, look, look at verse 9. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Just look how rich he is. But you reach out and you take everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. All right. You may test him. Boy, isn't that troubling? It's a hard sentence for us. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. 
And it's here that we see the power of God. We see that God is the one in control. All the angels are there giving an account to God. Satan's there having to give an account to God. God's the one who's sovereign. God's the one with all of the, the power. And for whatever reason, God allows Satan to do some really, really, really crummy things to a very good man, to a very godly man. Satan goes and takes all of his wealth. All of a sudden, he's flat broke. Has no money in his 401K, his 403B, he's got no money in his Roth, IRA, he's got no money in his checking account. All of his capital is gone. All of his donkeys and and, and camels and teams of oxen, all, all, of his, all of his homes that he rented out, maybe his apartment complexes, maybe his uh, uh, you know, uh, commercial real estate, if, if I could put this into a modern day context, it's all gone. Satan kills a bunch of his employees, a bunch of his servants and shepherds. And worst of all, Satan kills all 10 of his kids, literally in one day. It's like the worst day ever. Look at verse 20 of chapter one. Job stood up after he heard about all of his wealth being gone, after he heard about a bunch of his employees being killed, his family, his children being killed. He stood up and he tore his robe in grief. He's grieving. God expects his people to grieve. There's no way you could lose all of that in one day and not, not be bummed out, not grieve, not feel sorrow. And Job is feeling all of that. It goes on and says, then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and he worshiped. Wow. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I'll, I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord now has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? This really shows you the godly character of Job. Now we're gonna get into chapter two. And some time has gone by. So, so chapter one ends with Job losing his wealth and his, his employees and all of his family. It ends with him on the ground worshiping the Lord. Now when you get to chapter two, it's not like it's the next day. We don't know how much time has gone by, but we know some time has gone by, okay? Look at verse one. One day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser Satan came with them. So once again, like chapter one, God's having a, a staff meeting, he's got all of his angels with him, and once again, for whatever reason, God allows Satan to be a part of this gathering. Verse two, where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan, and Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. So here, like chapter one, we see that, that God's the one in control. God's the one asking the questions, and the angels and Satan, they have to give an account. God's the one in control. And we know exactly what Satan was doing here. We know what he was doing as he was patrolling the earth. I talked about it last weekend. Our brother Peter said, hey, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Circle that in your Bible. Write out next to that verse in your Bible. That's Satan's job description. That's what he does. He just messes up people's lives. He's just looking for people to devour. It could have said, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, is patrolling, to use the words of Job, planet Earth. He's just looking around. Just, he's just looking around, trying to figure out whose life is he gonna mess up? How can he mess up your life as an individual? How does he mess up your marriage? How does he mess up your children? How does he mess up your business? How does he mess up your parents? How does he mess up your friends? That's all he does. 
And we first see him patrolling the earth, devouring people in Genesis 3. He's patrolling the earth, he runs into Adam and Eve, and he devoured them, didn't he? And now in the book of Job, we see him, you know, prowling around on, on the planet, just looking for somebody to devour. Satan in chapter one has devoured all of Job's wealth. Satan in chapter one devoured all of, you know, or most of Job's employees who were friends of his, I'm sure. In Job chapter one, we see the devil devouring his children. He killed them all. And a lot of years have gone by, thousands of years have gone by, and guess what? That's still his job description. He's still doing that today. Some of you, maybe all of us, could stand up and give testimony of how he was patrolling around, he ran into a, our lives, our family, or whatever it might be, and he devoured us for a season, right? Devoured your marriage, maybe your second marriage, maybe your third marriage, devoured, I don't know, your children, maybe he devoured your parents, I don't know what it was, but they, he, he's still doing it. And as I said, we're gonna talk more about him in a moment. Verse three, then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He, he's the finest man in all the earth. He, he's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Sounds like chapter one, but now something is added. And he has maintained his integrity even though you urged me to harm him without cause. The exact same thing happened in Job chapter one. It's almost as if Satan isn't interested in Job and God's the one who says, hey look, don't forget about Job. Yeah, you took his wealth, yeah, you took a bunch of his employees, yeah, you killed his family, but don't forget about him. And that's troubling to, to me. Maybe it is to you. God's the one pointing out Job. And by the way, I want you to notice that God is watching everything that's going on. God saw Satan, you know, take all of Job's wealth. He saw it happen. God saw Satan, you know, kill a bunch of, you know, Job's employees. God saw Satan kill all 10 of Job's children. And here's the most important thing. God saw exactly how Job responded to all the suffering. God said he has maintained his integrity. But, beloved, God, God sees all the stuff that happens in your life. He sees the good. He sees the bad. He sees the ugly. He sees all of that. And most importantly, he sees how you respond to what's happening in your life. He sees it all. Verse four, Satan replied to the Lord, hey, skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life, but reach out and take away his health and he'll surely curse you to your face. Now, now, now Satan wants to devour not only his wealth and his employees and his children, he wants to devour his health. Verse six, all right, do with him as you please. The Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. That's just hard, isn't it? This is a godly man. This is a good man. We'd all understand it if God was pointing Satan to Charlie Manson, right? We, we'd get that. We'd understand if God was pointing out Satan to somebody who's evil and wicked and rotten and all that kind of stuff, a persecutor of the church. But man, he's, he's allowing Satan to do some really, really crummy things to a very good man, a godly man, a righteous man, a holy man. But we also see in this verse that God's the one in control. Satan can't do anything unless God permits it. 
Look at verse seven. So Satan left the presence, uh, the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. And Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. Wow. Once he was living a life of luxury, right? Wealthy. Had a great family. Great employees. There's no Kaiser Hospital, no Memorial, no you know, doctor's hospital, no emergency care. There's no penicillin or, or you know, hydrogen peroxide or, or whatever. He's sitting literally outside the city in a, in, a, in a dump, literally a dump. And he finds a piece of crummy pottery. Maybe he's trying to scrape the pus off of his body. Maybe just itches. You ever had like a, a sore that, that itched? I told the people Saturday night and Sunday, and my wife's sitting here. I didn't think I was going to say it today because she's here. She wasn't here last night. She wasn't here the first hour. But man, it wasn't long ago I stepped on something. My foot like had this sore on it. And so I was sitting there, you know, and I was scratching it, you know, and I couldn't scratch it. I couldn't really get a good scratch on it. So I went and got a fork. I know what she's worried about. She's worried I stuck it back in the drawer. That's what what she's worried about. I put it in the dishwasher, yeah. Oh, man, and I I thought about I thought about that, and I thought about Job. I mean, that was kind of the deal, man. He's he's just goofed up. And by the way, he's a mess. He's already a mess. He's, he, the, we're going to read later on in the chapters to come. I mean, he, he just lost a ton of weight. You can imagine you've lost your wealth. You've lost it all. You lost your family. You, 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 he's, just, he's just depressed. He's losing weight. Next week, Lord willing, he, he's going to now, he's going to say some things about his life and where he's at. But right now, he's, he's just, just this pathetic sight. And if that's not bad enough, him scraping his sores, you know, with a piece of pottery, verse nine says, his wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Are you still walking with the Lord? Really? You still want to get up on Sunday morning and go to church and serve the Lord? Really? You want to, you want to get up and spend some quiet time with the Lord and his word? You really want to pray? You're writing another check to put in that green basket you know, to, to express your worship to the Lord? Really? You're trying to maintain your, your integrity, man? Why don't you just curse God and die? Let me tell you something. Now we know why Satan didn't kill his wife. <laughs> because he could have. God didn't say he couldn't touch his wife. You see, Satan knew. Satan knew that woman. I'm going to use her. She's going to be my tool to get him to sin. See, Satan wanted Job to curse God. That's what he wanted. And now Satan's using her, tempting him to curse God. If you've ever wanted to know why Job's wife doesn't die, now you know. She's just a pawn, a tool in the hands of Satan. You need to understand, believer, that Satan can work through people to get you to sin or to get you to walk away from God or whatever. He can use your spouse. He can use your kids. He can use your parents. He can use your friends. He can use your professors. He can use whoever he wants. And what makes your spouse or your friends so powerful is that you love them. And because you love them, it's easy to follow their advice, even if that advice is crummy and sinful and evil and wicked. 
Look, <laughs> Adam, go back to the first human being, was tempted by his wife. Hey, why don't you eat some of it? And guess what? He did. He did it. Just like Satan wanted. Sarah tempted Abraham to sleep with their, their, their slave. And guess what? He did it. Which was exactly what Satan wanted. You need to be very careful, beloved, who you listen to. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, hey, don't be deceived. Bad company will corrupt good morals. Look, some of you, I know people who, you know, grew up in a great home with their moms and dads, walked with the Lord and lived out their faith as best as they could. And man, they brought their kids to church and, and their kids went through Sunday school classes learning the great stories of the Bible and learning great doctrines of the faith. And they were encouraged to walk with the Lord. They, they went through junior high ministries, high school ministries. They, 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 man, a whole bunch of juice and energy went into you know, helping them live godly, holy lives. And all it took was one soul, one strategically placed person to, you know, pull that soul back down the rabbit hole, basically. Bad company corrupts good character. You need to be careful who you hang out with. And sometimes the bad company can be someone you love. In Job's case, it's his wife. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. I mean, here, here's this guy. Really? Hey, hey, everything's golden, right, when he does exactly what we want, right? Oh, it's good to accept all the good things that God does. Hip, hip, hooray, kumbaya, he gave me everything I wanted. I got wealth, I got stuff. Oh, yeah, but, but as soon as he decides to take something away, that, that, that's when we, you know, blow him off. Is, is that how shallow our faith is? You're talking like a foolish woman. Talking like a foolish woman. I wonder where Job learned to have this kind of faith. I thought a lot about this. The Bible didn't tell us. I mean, what life group was he in? <laughs> Who was his mentor? We don't know. Some people think it was Melchizedek. I mean, who, who was it who was pouring into the life of Job that he would have that kind of faith? Look at verse 11. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Now, you need to remember these three guys because they're gonna become pretty significant characters in the, in the Bible. One was Eliphaz, one was Bildad, and the other was Zophar. And you had to write those names down because, uh, you know, things, things are, are, gonna, are, are gonna happen. And you're gonna need to know who these three, three guys are. Verse 12, when they, when those three guys saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes, threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. And then the last verse, verse 13. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights, and no one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Wow. This, this, is, this is really neat. These three guys really cared about their friend. Now, now in the weeks to come... These three guys are gonna become a bummer. These three guys are gonna end up persecuting Job and, and God's gonna rebuke them. But right now, they're kind of nailing it. Right now, we, we can learn a lot from, from these three, three guys. They traveled a long way to actually be in his presence. Isn't that neat? I mean, they, they could have just sat at home and prayed and asked God to comfort them. They could have done that. That would have been nice. 
but not these three guys. They all got together, and they, they, it was a pretty long journey because they wanted to actually be in his presence. And then they didn't leave his side for a week. Remember, he, he's outside the city, man. He's basically sitting in a dump. And these three guys are out there. They don't have nice chairs. They, they don't have, you know, folding chairs. They don't have any of that stuff. They're literally sacrificing. They're out sitting in the dump, I don't know, with the rats and who, whatever, watching their buddy do this. They're crying with him. They're, they're, they're mourning him. And in fact, they were so broken over what happened to their friend, they didn't speak for a week. Now, as I said, they're going to make up for their silence. It's when they start to talk that they get in trouble. But at least right now, I think we learned some really, really neat things with them. Sometimes the best way you can help a loved one or a friend that's hurting or suffering is simply be with them. You don't have to say anything. Just sit with them in silence. That alone can be a huge blessing. The reason why you feel like you gotta talk when someone's going through a rough time is because you're just trying to manage your own anxieties. <laughs> and so you, you, you share a verse or you sell, share some pithy little comment. Or, hey, well, yeah, I remember one time uh, when I was going through something similar. Now, nothing wrong with sharing a verse, nothing wrong with sharing some pithy comment, nothing wrong with sharing you know, some story. But sometimes the greatest thing you can do is just show up and just be there. I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a place when the person's dying. And I just go in and sit down. I don't say anything. Maybe grab the person's hand. And I don't say a word. I don't need to say anything. I'm just there. And you get up, maybe pray, and then leave. Now, if the person you're with begins to talk, then listen. But don't feel like you gotta respond. Don't feel like, hey, okay, what's the verse? What, uh, I gotta come up with a verse, because if I land the verse on him, whoo, that verse will take care of everything, wow. No. Maybe the Lord will lead you to a verse. I don't know. I'm not telling you not to share a verse. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying right now. All I'm saying is I think what these three guys did was pretty cool. They traveled a long way to be in this person's presence. They just sat with him and didn't say a word. They just mourned, just cried. Job chapter two, like chapter one, is, is just great. It's loaded with truth, but, but here's the deal. I want to zero in on one thing, and I told you I wanted to talk a little bit about Satan and the demons or whatever. And whenever you talk about Satan and the demons, here's the deal. You've got to be super careful. Super careful. This is, this is some weighty, serious stuff. And the first thing I want you to know about Satan is that he was created by God. Satan's real. He's real. In Colossians chapter one, it says this, Christ, Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all creation. Okay, get that? God is supreme. Jesus is supreme over everything he created. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Scripture tells us that God is the one who created everything, which means God is the one who created Satan. He created him. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly when he was created, but Job chapter 38 gives us a little bit of information, okay, as to when it was. In Job chapter 38, it says this. He's God's talking to Job. Hey, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me. 
If you, if you know so much, Job, if you're so smart, where were you when I created the earth? Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying lines? What, what, what supports its foundation, Job? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? So in Genesis chapters one and two, we see God creating everything. And Job tells us that while God was creating everything, the angels were rejoicing. Woo, that's awesome. So the angels had to have been created. Satan had to have been created before God creates you know, the heavens and the earth before Genesis 1 and 2. Does that make sense? But we don't know exactly when it was. We don't know the date. We just know that the angels were created before God creates everything else because here they are rejoicing over what God has created. N -n Number two, God created Satan good. In 1 John chapter 1, it says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you that God is light. He's righteous, he's holy, and there's no darkness in him at all. There, there's no evil in him, there's no sin in God. So Satan was created by God and for God, and because God is light, because he's righteous and holy and all of that, Satan was created good. He was a, created as, a, as an angel to serve and honor the God that created him. In fact, most scholars believe that Satan which by the way, he actually has the name Lucifer. There's a handful of angels that were given names in scripture. He's one of them, his name was Lucifer. And most scholars believe that Satan, Lucifer, was created as really maybe the most powerful of all of the angels that God created. And he was created good, he was created to be a blessing to God, to serve God, to obey God. Now obviously, something happened. You read Job chapter one and two, and you see Satan, you see Lucifer, and you go, whoa, he's not good anymore. Something happened. Well, what is it? Well, that brings me to number three, and that is that Satan rebelled against God. When God created Satan, when God created all the angels back here, whenever that was, he created them like he created you in that you have a free will, right? You can choose to serve God. You, you, you can choose to honor God with your life. You can choose to obey the word. You, you can choose to do that. Or you can choose to say, God, I don't want to follow you. God, I, I don't want to, you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to be the CEO of my life. I'm not following you anymore. And the Bible tells us that that, that that happened to Satan. There came a moment when Satan said, hey, I don't want to follow you anymore, God. I don't want to worship you anymore. I want people to worship me. I, I don't want to do what you say. I don't want to be one of your messengers. I don't want to honor you. I want people to honor me. And you can read about that in Isaiah chapter uh, 14. In Isaiah chapter 14, we're told about the fall of the king of Babylon. We're, we're told that why he fell from power or lost his power. But most scholars think it's also a symbolic description of Satan's fall from heaven because Satan was the power behind the king of Babylon. So they were in lockstep with one another. And so when... Satan, Lucifer, or any angel walks away from God, they become demons. And the difference between a, a fallen angel, a demon, and us is once a, an angel makes the decision to blow God off, there's no redemption for them. They can't go back and be a holy angel again, used by by God, a tool for, for good, for goodness. Once, it, once they fall, they're done. They're done. And so God created Satan somewhere before Genesis 1 and 2. He was created for good. And sometime before Genesis 1 and 2, he falls. He becomes a demon. He becomes Satan. And we see him in the first time in human history when he interfaces with Adam and Eve. 
And he's a demon then, he's Satan. He's a fallen angel. Now, by the way, once you know this, it kind of explains why there's evil in the world, right? I'm often asked, hey, Rick, do you really believe in demons? <laughs> yeah. I mean, just pick up your newspaper on any given day and just look at the evil, the horrendous, just heinous evil that one human being will perpetrate on another. There's only one explanation. That is demons. It's the only way you can explain it. Some of it is so horrific. You just go, whoa. And, and, and number four, I'm gonna race through these real quick. Satan is very powerful. Now he's nowhere near as powerful as God. Saturday night, I, for whatever reason, I said, you know, it's like my power versus a cockroach's power. <laughs> I mean, but you know what? That, that doesn't even compete, you know, you know, compute even with God. I mean, his power is between him and Satan. It's, it's, it's way grander than even my power over a cockroach, you know? But he's powerful. First John tells us we know that we are, are children of God and that the, the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Now, he's under the control of the evil one at the behest of whatever God allows him to do. But man, that's, we see in Job chapter one and two, he's powerful. Make no mistake about it. Uh, number five, Satan is just pure evil. That's it, he's just pure evil now. Pure evil. Number six, and this is where it gets us back into Job real quick, and that is Satan hates the new you. Hey, Christian, he loved the old you, but he hates the new you. Actually, here's the deal. He hates God. And now the new you, God lives in you. And so he hates you because God lives in you. Literally, he, he hates you. Satan is real and he's powerful and he's evil and he hates you. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. This is the enemy's goal for your life. This is what the enemy wants to do to you. He wants to mess up your life. He wants to mess up your marriage. He wants to mess up your business. He wants to mess up your parents or your kids or whatever it might be. Because he hates you. Because God lives inside of you. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. All the, all the enemy wants to do, to use Peter's language, is devour you. Here, John uses a different language. He just says he's just here to, you know, kill and destroy you. Paul said this in Colossians chapter one. He said, for he has rescued us, Jesus has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. And here's the deal. We may have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, but we still live here on planet earth and Satan is real and he's powerful and he's evil, and he hates you. Hates you deeply, because God lives inside of you. Which means this side of heaven, we, we got trouble. We're, we're, we're in a fight, we're in a war. Satan wants to rob you of this life that Jesus came to give you, and here's the deal, some of you know the Lord. <laughs> And you're not experiencing this life that he came to give you because the enemy's robbing you. He's stealing this life away from you. Here, here's a couple of things I want you to keep in mind real quick. A couple of truths. Truth number one is this. Jesus won the war over Satan and the demons. I want you to understand this truth. The Bible says the Son of God came for this purpose, to destroy the devil's work. That is a great sentence that kind of encapsulates why Jesus came. 
The reason why Jesus was born in that little town called Bethlehem, the reason why he lived a sinless, perfect life for a little over 33 years, the reason why he voluntarily went to a cross and shed his blood for you, the reason why he walked out of that tomb three days later was to destroy the devil's work. The devil had, had, had taken control of your life, literally. He, he had devoured you. And he walked out of that grave saying, hey listen, you put your trust in me, and guess what? Bam, the work that the devil came to do is all over with. And then the second truth is this, is that the power that dealt the death blow to Satan and the demons actually is inside of you. The Bible says in 1 John chapter four, my dear children, you belong to God and have defeated them because God's spirit who's in you is greater than the devil who's in the world. Hey, listen, he's real. Satan's real. He's evil. He hates you. No doubt about that. But here's the thing. The God who knocked you know, the devil out, so to speak, lives inside of you. Now, here's what you gotta think about. Okay, pastor, I believe you. I believe you that, man, what Jesus did, that was the knockout blow, and I believe that, that Jesus lives inside of me. Here's my question, pastor. Why is it so hard to live a Christian life then? Well, the reason why it's hard is because you have a role to play. You're still here. You're still taking up space down here with Satan and the demonic. And God, God has a role for you to play. He's given us some data, if you will. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter six, put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. We fight against mighty powers in the dark world. We fight against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, because this war we face is a spiritual war, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Here's the deal, listen to me, listen to me, Christian. The reason why some of you aren't experiencing this great life that Jesus came to give you, because you don't have the armor on. Some of you need to go and read Ephesians 6, and you gotta get the armor off, and here's the deal, once you got it on, you don't take it off. You don't take it off like when you go to bed at night. You leave the armor on. But then, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, he says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body's weak. Hey, the spirit of God that lives in you, Christian, is willing. Come on, we can do this. I'm greater than the, than the demonic. I'm greater. But unfortunately, you got this flesh, right? And no good dwells in it. And so Jesus says, you gotta pray. Hey, you wanna defeat the enemy? You gotta get the armor on. And then you gotta pray. And then there's one more thing. I'm gonna take us back to what our brother Peter said. He said, stay alert. Hey, 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 get the armor on. Pray, and then stay alert. Stay alert. There's a real deal here. I'll bet 99.9% .9 of you woke up this morning and, hey, what's for breakfast? I'm gonna eat my Cheerios, hey, hey, hey. And you walked out the door and you never even thought about the fact you were in a war against the devil. <laughs> and guess what, that's exactly the way he wants it. That's right, don't think about me. Because as long as you're not thinking about me, you're not gonna be alert. Hey, this, this, this thing we're in, this life we're in, is, in a lot of ways, is really beautiful. It really is. But hey, we're seeing in the book of Job that the demonic are real. We're in a real war here. And if you want to overcome the enemy, look, look, get, get the armor on. Spend time praying and be alert. Be alert. Have I got any, do I got any people in my life that are dragging me down a rat hole? 
Do I got bad company in my life that's going to mess up my good character? When I was a youth guy here for a lot of years, I used to have a little saying, you've heard it before a lot of times, you know, tell me who your friends are and I'm going to tell you where you're going to end up. And, I'll, and that's just about 99.99% of the time. You tell me who you're doing life with and I'm going to tell you where you're going to end up. You tell me who your friends are and I, I can, I'll just tell you where you're going to be. And by the way, that's true for you adults. Are you alert? Are you careful about what's going on around you? The reason why most people aren't alert is because they just haven't even put on the armor. And if you haven't put on the armor, you know what? You're not going to pray. And if you're not praying, you're not going to be alert. Jesus said it also when he said, hey, keep watch and pray. The whole idea is keep watch. Stay alert. As you go through this life, enjoy it. God wants us to enjoy all the stuff he's given us. You know, our friendships, our, our families, or whatever it is. Enjoy it. Enjoy your careers. Enjoy your jobs. Nothing wrong with that. Enjoy it. Enjoy learning. Enjoy all the things. Enjoy a, a mango. I don't know. Enjoy a, a good steak, man. Enjoy the, the taste of a pizza. Nothing wrong with that. Enjoy it. I, I don't know how you enjoy a rice cake, but, but, but enjoy. It's like eating air. You're burning more calories chewing the thing than you are, you know, whatever it's giving. And I don't even get it. Someone, someone says, hey, yeah, put a little, put a little, you know, you know, peanut butter on it. No, you know, it's just, hey, look, enjoy it. But hey, there's also a very serious side to, to this life. And Christian, look, I know you love the Lord and all that. Job loved the Lord. But hey, he's real. He was created good. He walked away from the Lord. He rebelled against God. He's evil. He's powerful. He hates you. He hates you because God lives inside of you. And so, hey, get the armor on. Keep it on. Pray. And be watchful. And you do those three things, the chances are pretty good. The chances are pretty good that the enemy and the demonic aren't gonna be able to goof around with your life or your family's life or whatever. Okay, everybody stand. Everybody over in the venue, stand up real quick, okay? And so, Lord, thank you, God, for today. Thank you for all that happened over in series, Lord. That, that was... Some of the even texts I got before I walked out here were just incredible. Blessings on all that's happening over there. Bless us today as we go and have lunch, hang out with our friends, family members, or whatever. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.